0: The shocker for me was that of the 1,300 substances, roughly two-thirds of them, I either wouldn't recommend to anybody because they're either not effective or not safe or both.
1: Hello again, and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Now, a recurring theme and a recurring question on this podcast revolves around the issue of dietary supplements, some of which I'm convinced are very good for us, others leave me rather sceptical. The question is, what, if anything, should we take? When? Why? How often? And how do we know that what we're consuming isn't going to react adversely with something else that we're taking to... Improve our energy, or heart health, or to lose weight, or to put on weight, or build muscular strength. There are many different personal reasons why we might want to supplement our diet, including, of course, to increase the length and quality of our lives, our health span or lifespan. Well, my guest today is Dr. Walt Larimore, a family physician for over forty years, the author of multiple books and articles on healthcare. The latest being the Natural Medicine handbook, the truth about the most effective herbs, vitamins, you might say vitamins, and supplements for common Conditions. Dr. Larimore is based in Colorado Springs in the U.S. state of Colorado, a beautiful part of the world. Dr. Larimore, welcome to the Live Long and Master
0: Aging podcast. It's great to be with you, and, and Walt works just fine for me.
1: <laughs> Walt and Peter, that that sounds perfect to me too. So, Walt, good to meet you. And this is a fascinating subject. And as I say, it, it comes up frequently in the many discussions that I have about trying to achieve a, a good health span, a long health span where we enjoy optimum health for as long as possible. And uh, I know it is confusing to a lot of people. You just got to go to the pharmacy, to the chemist, and look on the the racks of different supplements available to us, and and hence the confusion about what to take. Was that the premise behind this book? Try to (laughs) answer some of those questions.
0: I I wish it was so noble, Peter, but I... uh... I actually started in uh, media work. I was a family physician practicing down in the Orlando area, a little town called Kissimmee. At nighttime, they call it Kissimmee. <laughs> but uh, the Fox uh, News folks had begun a health channel called the Fox Health Channel. It actually started as America's Health Network, and then it became the Fox Health Network. And so I did live programming for... Oh, about five years. But the first program, which was March 25th, 1995, and I remember that date because it was so horrible, <laughs> because we had done, I'd never done television and, and media work. But I was just a family doctor, country family doctor. But I uh, got on TV that night, and my first three questions were about natural medicines, herbs, vitamins, and supplements. And I knew nothing about them. And I found out how Important this is to consumers and to the lay public. And this was, that was, you know, 25 years ago, and it's become even more important. And especially in this country, the only developed country in the world where these substances are essentially unregulated. We as consumers, healthcare consumers, and then myself as a healthcare professional, are really lost without some guidance on. What do we buy? What's uh, not contaminated? What will actually get into our system? What will help our system? And because they're not regulated, the advertisers can well, basically feed on us, if you would. And as a result, at least in this country, the United States, billions of dollars are spent that I think are spent needlessly. So it's, I've come about it, about it in a different way. Then with my own aging, of course, it's become personally important, not only to me, but to my patients. So remembering that television show, do you now know the answer to
1: does vitamin C work for coals?
0: I, I know a lot better than I did now for two reasons. Number one, I've studied it for the last quarter century. Number two, we now have that quarter of century's worth of studies literally from around the world. And then number three, we as health consumers have access to independent quality testing labs so that if we decide to take a vitamin D or a vitamin C or a zinc lozenge for a cold or influenza or what have you, we now have sources that we can go to and find out is what we're being sold? Does it actually contain what the label says? And can we find less expensive product that is just as good? So I think the health consumers in better shape now than we've been the last quarter century.
1: So just going back to what you were saying, uh, when you were faced with those questions that you really didn't know the answers to, does that reflect and uh, certainly other people similar positions to yourself uh, have said this to me does it reflect your training as a doctor that very little emphasis was put on uh, certainly diet and and nutrition and, and potentially supplementation
0: yeah i think unfortunately that's still the case i teach family medicine residents around the country and uh primary care specialties, pediatrics, geriatrics, internal medicine, family medicine, uh, are certainly getting better at including these topics in their residency training. But for most of the physicians that most of us will see, they just simply haven't had much training in, in those fields. And once again, that leaves us as consumers, how do we find information, health information that's trustworthy, that's evidence-based that's not trying to sell us something.
1: So, delving into the book, uh, you go into a considerable amount of detail, and you, you've touched on this already in terms of where the information comes from. What are your main sources? I know you mentioned consumerlab.com, which is uh, a very important source of uh, a reliable source of information
0: for you. Yeah, I, I uh, as a practitioner, have used uh, two primary sources in, in my practice. The first source is a source that I look at for finding out what's effective, what works for what, what specific herb or vitamin or supplement either works or doesn't work for whatever condition it is that I'm treating, or even with general conditions like length of life and quality of life and wellness and and those sorts of things, and far and away the, the Most trustworthy and the largest to me is called the Natural Medicines Comprehensive Database. They've now shortened their name to Natural Medicines. It's a group of, uh, several hundred doctors of pharmacy, doctors of pharmacology who, uh, are independent. They're, they're not hired by any pharmaceutical company or they don't take advertising, but what they do is, uh, create monographs about every herb, vitamin, and supplement. I think they now have over 6,500 monographs available. And each monograph says, what's the scientific name of the substance? And the scientific name actually can be different in different countries. What are the common names? What do people say that it does? What does it actually do? In other words, uh, for any particular indication, is it effective or not effective? Uh, is it safe or not safe? Is it safe for adults? Is it safe for children? Is it safe for adolescents? Is it safe if you're breastfeeding? Is it safe if you're pregnant? What are the adverse effects that have been reported with this, with this substance? What medications does it interact with? What foods does it interact with? Even what lab tests does it interact with? Uh, how do you dose it? What do you look out for? So it's a very extensive monograph. It comes in both a professional edition, but also a consumer edition. It is a subscription service. That's how they pay for themselves. But what I advise community groups, whether it's a faith community, a book club, uh, a neighborhood, can go together and get a single subscription for that. Not only can you look up the monographs about particular substances, but they have ratings for 185,000 herbs, vitamins, and supplements that are sold in North America. So you can actually look up supplements by their by their brand name, and they use what they call a number rating system. Peter N M B E R Natural Medicines N B Evidence Effectiveness Rating System or something. It's a zero to ten scale. I never recommend anything that's rated below an eight. So if it's eight, nine, or ten boom, go for it. Of the 185,000 substances, they include all those that are on the market currently as well as some that have been discontinued that aren't on the market. So for finding out information on what's effective, that's my best source. And then actually what substance to get, there are several quality testing labs around the U.S. Consumer Lab is the one that I've used the longest, but um, also there's a newer one called Lab Door l a b d o o r dot com. It was set up by some venture capitalists, and it's free. And they are testing more and more substances on a daily basis. Uh, they rate them uh, on an A B C D F scale. <laughs> and uh, for athletes that are listening, because uh, we've all heard stories of Olympic athletes or who've been who've been drug tested and they have found to be positive. They say, "Oh my gosh, I took a supplement." And they didn't know that the supplement contained a banned substance. So Labdor actually tests for sports certification also, which is kind of cool. But Consumer Lab and Labdor, uh, another one's called USP, US Pharmacopeia and uh u s pharmacopoeia and natural Medicines have a partnership, so actually, at the natural medicine site, you can find out the u s p ratings also
1: now you say there is uh, for natural medicines as a consumer edition, but I, I think the reality and clearly this information is potentially available to everyone, but the reality is that i don 't know i 'm just guessing at a percentage, but I would say probably ninety nine percent of of people are not going to go to these kind of sources to find in detail information about a supplement they're interested in. So hence the importance of of a middleman or a middlewoman or a a doctor (laughs) like yourself to interpret on behalf of uh, the masses of of people who are interested, feel the need, but maybe have not the inclination to delve into the detail or perhaps the understanding to interpret the detail. I, I think that's what you're essentially trying to do in your book by going through this and filtering the information and perhaps having your own bar in terms of uh, what to reach in terms of what is good and what is potentially a waste of money
0: no i think you're i think you're spot on absolutely right. I, in fact, I might say in my patient population, it's 100%. Right. It's just people don't have the time to go through that material. So for this particular book, I evaluated just over 1,300 substances. Uh, now, I'm not doing the lab test, but just gathering the information to put it together for people. Uh, the shocker for me was that of the 1,300 substances, roughly two-thirds of them I either wouldn't recommend to anybody because they're either not effective or not safe or both. And then roughly 25% of the, of the herbs, vitamins, and supplements that I evaluated could be used by some people in some situations. And that left us with about 10% that the general public should perhaps consider. And then What I did for each chapter, whether it was brain health or general health or longevity or heart health or weight loss or skin health or hair health, was to actually just put a chart at the end of the chapter showing what's effective, what's safe, what's not effective, what's not safe. It allows people to look up. I had a lady write me the other day and said, what's your feelings about L-tyrosine? And I said, well, actually, I don't think you should care what my feelings are. I think the question is, what does the evidence show about L-tyrosine? And it's evaluated six places in this book. And for at least the conditions I've evaluated that particular substance for, it's neither uh, effective nor potentially safe. And so my goal is to help guide consumers into finding what works And then where can they avoid wasting money, either spending too much money for a substance that will work? For example, you mentioned vitamin C early on, Peter, and we can find vitamin C product that's been quality tested by Labdoor or USP or consumerlab.com that varies if we took a 500-milligram dose, for example, that varies from as little as $0.02 a tablet to as much as $5 a tablet why in the world would you pay $5 for something that you could pay two cents for? Uh, I mean, if you want to buy a, a, a brand name that sells for 3 or 4 or $5, knock yourself out. But if you're interested in getting what you need and being a good steward with the funds that you have, then there's options for discovering that. Now you
1: address very early on in the book the question, well, wouldn't life be much better if we didn't need supplementation? Indeed, Perhaps that is the case for many people, and that we're bamboozled through advertising and maybe even peer pressure to sometimes take supplements, believing it's going to be good for us, when actually, if we ate a balanced diet and got lots of exercise and didn't smoke, we'd be doing pretty well anyway. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment.
0: Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? Yeah, I, 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 you and I have never met and we've never talked, but it sounds like we're brothers from different mothers. You know, um, I rate uh, interventions like a, nut- a nutritious diet, a good restful sleep, movement. I've gotten away from the word exercise, but movement, avoidance of tobacco products. In each of the chapters, whether it's longevity, heart health, brain health, GI health, those lifestyle interventions have dramatic effects. For example, if we have anyone listening to us who's 50 years old who chooses five simple lifestyle habits to get as normal a weight as you can, to eat the best diet that you can, number two, to get a good restful night's sleep, number three. Number four, move. Just get off your butt. Can we say that? You know, we can say that. Move, just get up and move. Uh, so, exercise. Oh, and avoid tobacco products. Right. For a 50 year old who does those five things, their life expectancy is almost 40% more than someone who's doing. And if you say, well, I can't, I can't do all five, do four. That improves your length of life and your quality of life on average. And we may have a 50-year-old who's listening who says, well, but I've got some illness. I have some heart disease. Or maybe I have a cancer or I have an autoimmune disease. Those five lifestyle interventions still increase life and improve life. So you're spot on. That And this book emphasizes that again and again and again. That's the foundation. That's the baseline. But... If, for example, you suffer from seizures and you're taking an anti-seizure medication, we know that most of the anti-seizure medications, and there's other medications, can rob you of certain nutrients. Calcium, for example, with people that are on anti-seizure medications. So how do you get that calcium in a safe way? We now know that calcium supplementation can be associated with increased cardiovascular risk, increased stroke risk, and perhaps increased cancer risk. And what I'm talking about there are people who take supplements and they take more than 1,000 milligrams a day, particularly women. They're at increased risk. Not many of my colleagues in medicine are informing their patients of that. In fact, most patients I see that are taking calcium are taking too much calcium or the wrong type of calcium. I get them into the food sources, number one. But if they can't get that 1,000 milligrams per day of calcium that they need, then how do we choose supplements that give them the right amount at the, at the lowest cost? So a couple of different ways to come at it, but I, I'm with you. I think you're spot on. So of those uh,
1: lifestyle, those common sense lifestyle intervention that you mentioned, uh, exercise, I think that's self-explanatory, yeah, getting plenty of sleep, not smoking, fairly obvious, but eating a good diet. Now, that is fairly debatable, isn't it? Of course, what is a good diet to one person isn't necessarily so good to someone else so you could be a vegan you could be a vegetarian you could yeah. be a, a pescatarian you could be following a, a keto diet which is obviously something that's very popular these days
0: uh, where do you come down on that <laughs> or, or uh, i love what the kids call a flexitarian <laughs> you know, i may be a carnivore tonight and a vegan tomorrow i'm gonna be flexible um yes. I, i'm i'm all about Evidence. What's the best evidence we have? And when it comes to choosing nutrition plans, I think one of the best sources, the one I use every year, U.S. News and World Reports, which is a U.S. publication, magazine, journal, gathers together world experts in the area of nutrition each year. It'll be somewhere between 40 and 80 experts who get together and they examine every popular nutrition plan, both the regular ones like Mediterranean, vegan, keto, paleo, whatever, and the commercial plans, the Jenny Craig's, for example. And then they rate them. They look at all of the evidence that has come out, the studies that are available. They look at the cost. They look at studies that look at how hard, Some of these are to do, particularly for folks that live in inner cities where there's uh, nutritional deserts. There's just not a lot of stores available. And then they rate them. And they rate them, for example, they'll rate the diets that are easiest to use. They'll rate the diets that are most effective. They'll rate the nutrition plans that are best for heart disease or for diabetes or for weight loss, for example. And I always look at those ratings. And that's what I recommend that my patients do. In general the last 3 or 4 years the mediterranean type diet has been the top rated nutrition plan for a variety of of conditions that are available but it's not the only one vegan vegetarian uh uh among several other options that are available but what i like about it is it allows uh, a family or or an individual, to look at options and choose one that's best for them. But when it comes to patients in general, my typical recommendation is whatever the type of foods that you like, whether it's Mexican or French or heart-healthy or diabetic-healthy or whatever, is to find a cookbook that a national, reputable uh, institution recommends maybe it's Mayo or maybe it's the American Heart Association or the American Dietetic Association, now called the Association of Nutritionists and Dietitians A and D. Find out cookbooks that are recommended by them. Barb and I did this with Kate and Scott when they are kids when they were teenagers. We were putting on a little bit more weight than we should. We knew we weren't eating as well as we should. The kids knew that. And so we actually purchased an American Heart Association cookbook. And then we got a second cookbook from the American Dietetic Association. This was, I'm talking 20 years ago. And what we began to do, Peter, was just try recipes one at a time, knowing that the average family eats about 10 to 12 dinners per month. Now, what I mean by that, we eat, 30 dinners or 31 dinners, you know, at night. But sometimes we repeat, we may have hamburgers twice, and we may have chili twice, or what have you. But the uh, first recipe that we tried was a vegetarian lasagna made with soy crumbles. And I thought this is going to be the worst night of my life. I'm not a soy crumble guy, you know, and I was a carnivore at the time. And Barb cooked that lasagna, and the four of us loved it. Now, then we tried another recipe and another recipe we didn't. But after a couple of months, we had found 15 recipes that we loved. Barb and I still use those same 15 recipes. Kate and Scott are both married. They still use those same recipes. So it it wasn't that the nutrition plan became an obstacle. It became fun. It became enjoyable to find what you like. And and Peter, the same thing's true with exercise. You know this find find movement you like to do find someone you'd like to do it with that you can be accountable and so good health can be good fun just with a little planning
1: and i think some people think these uh, interventions have to be well they make them overly complicated yeah I you're right exactly that's exactly the point right. that you've just made and, and that includes exercise good exercise can be simply going for an hour long walk every morning with your dog at a good brisk pace
0: that's great exercise and more than most people get. Oh, absolutely. The, the, you know, the current recommendations are you know, that roughly 150 minutes a week. But we now know that it can be in five-minute increments, three-minute increments, uh, even standing while you work, even at, at work having walking meetings. I get tickled when Barb and I go to the mall and people spend 15, 20 minutes trying to get a parking place next to park out (laughs) in the outback where it's safer to park anyway. Walk in. It's just movement. It's getting up. I, I see patients two days a week and then I write three or four days a week. But when I'm writing, I have a little timer and it tells me, get up and move. It may be walk to the back garden and just take a look. Right now we've got some irises coming up and look at those irises for a moment, just that moment of relaxation. I can do that in in my office work where I'm, I'm seeing patients. I can be sure that I move, watch my step count. But you're absolutely right. How do you make it fit who you are as a person, where you live, and, and make it enjoyable. Peter, th- I, I just think that's so wise. And many physicians don't think that way, but you're wise.
1: Yeah, and, and you can set small challenges for yourself. And and you're right, you and I could be brothers because I go to the shopping mall, go to the grocery store. And I'm quite amused by the way that people really try to pack in the parking lot to the very closest <laughs> entry and exit points to the building. I go to the opposite end. Just embrace the fact that you're walking further, walk around the block and then go into the store.
0: Well, you mentioned the dog. In fact, research shows that people who have dogs walk more than people who don't because you have to. And with children, getting them out in the stroller, you know, and, and if you find someone, if you're going to walk, if you're going to swim, if you're going to Zumba, if you're going to jazzercise, whatever, run, jog, tennis, pickleball, but whatever you do, find someone to do it with that you enjoy. Then you have that fellowship, that conversation, that relationship, and that accountability, I'm curious about this, and maybe we've
1: covered it already in terms of your other answers. But as a, a physician, based on your experience, is there one condition that you would think is a there's a relatively simple fix for? A condition that comes up time and time again, but people don't seem to realise that if if only they did this in their lives. They wouldn't be suffering from continuous um, digestion-related complaints or heartburn or a recurring ankle sprain, something like that. Is there something in, in your career
0: that's come up time and time again? Well, this book kind of centers on that because we talk about heart disease so hypertension, heart attack, heart failure. We talk about brain disease, dementia, Alzheimer's. We talk about GI disease, celiac, irritable bowel syndrome, and, uh, and then weight, obesity and overweight and the epidemic and the scourge that it, that is. And those all are associated with each other. I just was reading a study this morning that talked about a a fairly aggressive nutrition and exercise plan for people with diabetes and hypertension. Both of those diseases were reversed, normalized, off medication. I'm talking type 2 diabetes, not type 1 where there's the insulin, but type 2 diabetics who could be cured. It's hard work. But it's not as hard as having a heart attack. It's not as hard as losing a limb. It's not as hard as developing dementia is. And so uh, I think more and more of the research shows and more and more health professionals are interested in, how can we do what we call primary prevention? In other words, don't tell you how to prevent a second heart attack. That's secondary prevention. But tell you how to prevent that first heart attack, that primary Uh, prevention. And Peter, as people go through the book and they look, I mean, obviously there are supplements that you can use for these conditions, but the foundation, the ground floor, are these lifestyle behaviors and then the nutritional products come on top of that. I think the one that angers me the most, you mentioned earlier about unscrupulous advertisers who try to get us to buy products. Um, I go into great depth in the book about how how devious and deceptive the advertising is. It's almost criminal, except in our country, it's not. The only thing that, that argues against what an, uh, a supplement seller says is what they put on the label. Apart from that, they can say almost anything they, they want. But I really get angry about our, our seniors who are, are scared, silly, not about cancer anymore but about dementia, about Alzheimer's disease. I mean, really scared silly. And unfortunately, there is not a single supplement. There's not a commercial product. There's not a single supplement that has been shown to have any benefit in the prevention or treatment of of dementia or Alzheimer's. And yet, every night on the evening news, there's two or three of them that are advertised. And the deceptiveness will be the number one advertiser will say, the number one product recommended by pharmacists in America. And it's 60 bucks a month, and it doesn't work. There's no evidence of effectiveness whatsoever. Yet, the, what we've been talking about, nutrition, sleep, exercise, Brain involvement, relationships, even spirituality, prayer, quiet time, all have both a prevention and a treatment effect. But I really get angry at at the advertisers. And so I, I hope that programs like yours and books like mine will help people become armed with the information they need to make wise decisions that don't harm themselves or their pocketbook.
1: I think that's a a really good message. You've just touched on something else I I wanted to delve into with you. And you talk and you write about positive spirituality. You mentioned spirituality and and prayer as being perhaps equally as important as focusing on your diet and and your exercise and your sleep. This is, you could call it, exercise for the mind that uh, promotes your well-being just as well as other interventions.
0: Well, our exercise of the spirit... uh, Before the Natural Medicine's Handbook, I I had a book that came out with Dr. Phil Bishop, Phil's a a PhD exercise physiologist at the University of Alabama, and we did a book called Fit Over 50. It's actually kind of deceptively named because a 40-year-old or a 30-year-old would get as much benefit from this book as a 50- or 60-year-old. But we talk about something that I've done research on and written for for over 20 years, And that's what I call the four wheels of health. I mean, obviously, there's physical health, no question about that. But there's also relational health, you know, family health that we have, social health that we have. There's also emotional or mental health. And then the fourth wheel is spiritual health. And as you look across the hundreds of thousands of studies that have looked at the relationship between those four wheels, they are intimately and intensely interconnected. And if any one of those wheels, your physical health, your relational health, your emotional health, or your spiritual health is either flat or wobbly or out of alignment, you will not be able to ri- have the ride of life <laughs> that you want. And I think the, the surprise one, Peter, that, that you've mentioned is, is spiritual health. Um, but Any type of health, physical health can be positive or negative. You can have good relationships and bad relationships. You can have good emotions and bad emotions. And with spirituality, you can have positive spirituality or negative spirituality. I'm involved with a research project at the residency that I teach at in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I live in Colorado Springs, but I'm a visiting professor at a family medicine residency in Tulsa. And we look at our hospitalized patients that are coming in. The Joint Commission... Which accredits all healthcare institutions in this country now has a requirement that uh, patients have a spiritual history taken upon admission to find out if they have any spiritual needs and if they do to meet them. Maybe they need to see a pastoral professional or maybe they want to see a chaplain or maybe prayers important to them or maybe they need some reading or whatever the case would be what is that patient's spiritual needs during their hospitalization. But we've also begun to ask patients, do they have any religious struggle? And the questions that I teach the residents, I call them the lap questions. And these are questions only for patients who we admit who have a religious belief or a, or a spiritual belief, who have a some understanding that there's a God in their, in their view system and that they believe in or have heard of. So for people who are religious, we'll ask the LAP, L-A-P questions. And that is, if, if someone believes in God, we'll say, does this illness, does this cancer, does this accident you've had make you feel that God loves you less? That's the L question. The A is abandoned. Does this... Illness make you feel that God has abandoned you. Are you a person who's prayed for healing and gotten a no to that? So do you feel God has abandoned you? Or thirdly, and this one, for example, is very common with our Muslim patients. Do you feel that God's punishing you for something? And that's why you have this illness. What the research shows is that people who have religious struggle are much less likely to do well, to recover. Uh, as quickly or to as recover as well or even cope as well. And so if we identify a patient in the hospital who has religious struggle, I don't have the training or experience to deal with that, but we have chaplaincy people who have that experience to come in and sit and visit with that patient and talk with that patient and have them come to an understanding of reality as opposed to uh, unreal expectations. And it's really sweet. I, I've really enjoyed seeing my ilk, physicians and hospitals begin to take spiritual histories and then actually respond to it. And it's desperately overdue.
1: I think that's very interesting. Uh, and of course, for people who don't identify themselves as religious, as mm-hmm. uh, having a faith, spirituality can still be an incredibly important part of their life.
0: Without question, That's, the spiritual history helps us see. Do you have any particular spiritual needs? If you're religious, then do you have any religious struggle going on? But all under the rubric that when people become ill, even when people become, when women become pregnant, almost all begin to think. Spiritual things are eternal things, and particularly in illness, to begin to wonder about, is this it? What's life all about? You know, and and for healthcare professionals to be aware of that, to come alongside those patients, not in any way to proselytize or push whatever their beliefs are, but rather to find out I, I like to say I like to find out where my patients are on their spiritual journey and join them in taking the next step towards spiritual health, however that looks for them in their spirituality. You're absolutely right.
1: So, Walt, as we uh, draw this conversation to a close, I'm curious about your own Journey in life. You've talked about your family and recipes, and uh, <laughs> really finding that that niche in terms of what's uh, working for you and what you feel comfortable with. But as you look forward to the the coming decades, and we often talk on this podcast about health span, optimizing those healthy years as opposed to lifespan—the number of years that we're actually alive and our heart is beating. Oh. Um, what? do you apply to yourself from everything that you've learned and and we've talked about in the last half an hour or so, Mm. what do you apply to yourself every day that you think is so crucially important
0: to enjoy a great health span? Yeah, great question, Peter. I appreciate you asking that. For me, it's that um, discipline, and particularly it's a spiritual discipline for me. Uh, I was raised in a Christian tradition, Episcopal tradition, and so the Lord's Prayer was something that was part of of every worship service. So I remember as a little boy singing uh, the Lord's Prayer. And and so when I wake up, and this has been for most of my adult life, my first breath, waking up, my first thought is I begin to sing that prayer. I did this morning. I've just got a little tune. I just sing through it as I lay in bed. And just saying, starting today, uh, I'm centering on the fact that life's bigger than me. And I want to make today be everything that God designed it to be for me. That that centering, and then after getting up and, and getting that cup, of, I, I I love Earl Grey tea. So getting that cup of Earl Grey tea going. And just sitting down, and for me, it's it's a, a brief scripture reading of of that wisdom of scripture. I use two of the Hebrew scriptures, uh, from Psalms and from Proverbs. And so, there's thirty proverbs. And uh, so, today was was the eighth of the month. So I read the eighth proverb, as is about Lady Wisdom, and I've I've read it for years and years and years and yet that ancient book of wisdom spoke to me today in a new way i mean here i am <laughs> approaching my 8th decade and i'm i'm reconsidering just what you said how how can i be wise how can i become more wise how can i not be seduced by by evil or lies or or wrong so that a proverb a day and then i pick up the book of psalms there's 150 psalms in the hebrew scriptures and so I started on, on Psalm 8, and I just had 30. So I did 8, and then I did 38, and then 68, and then 98, and then, you know, 118, I guess, would be the next one. And it takes about 10, 15 minutes, and uh, up here in the mountains where the point where when I'm doing that, the sun's starting to rise. And it's just for me been a good discipline of, of that spiritual centering, Barb's not up at that point, so then I go and and have my treadmill time, uh, and I watch the the uh, news program, do my my walk. I've got some arthritis, so running's kind of hard for me. And then I found uh, a Royal Canadian Air Force exercise program that even us old folks can do, and printed off the internet. I've got a little exercise routine I go through every day. It's very simple to do. By then I hear Barb wandering around and go upstairs and she's having a cup of coffee. And we sit and just for five minutes just talk about what's happening that day, how we can serve each other, how we can pray for each other, and then that's when the day begins. So for me that that kind of spiritual, relational, physical centering at the beginning has just become a valuable discipline.
1: And I think that is a, a wonderful way to end this interview Walt it's been really fascinating to talk to you a, a, a wonderful insight into your thinking and uh, how it could uh, clearly help so many people all the best with the book and thank you very much indeed
0: well Peter blessings with what you're doing to help people figure out their divine design and then to live life in a healthful fashion oh I'm just glad to have been a small part of it
1: Dr. Walt Larimore thank you very much indeed my pleasure and I will put a link to your work and to your book, The Natural Medicine Handbook, into the show notes for this episode of the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. You'll find our website at llamapodcast.com. That's double L-A-M-A podcast. Dot com the llama podcast is a health media production in social media you'll find us at llama podcast you can contact me at peter Bowes. we're available on all of the major podcasting platforms including apple podcasts spotify and audible free of charge to everyone you can also rate and review us there wherever you find us do take care and thanks so much for listening